2: Conscious transformation is a proven system for personal development designed to help you create a meaningful and fulfilling life based on cutting edge neuroscience, ancient wisdom practices, genetics, and psychology. Matthew helps you shift limiting mental, emotional, and physical patterns to reach your full potential to inquire about working with Matthew as a private client or join one of his classes or weekend seminars. Please visit ConsciousTransformation.com slash Matt dash Labasco. <sighs> I've been so excited for this week's guest. He has been on my mind. And then I had to reschedule. And I was like, oh, no, I hope he can get it in. All right. Who is this inspiring guest? It's Dr. David Shanley. He is a licensed psychologist working in private practice in one of my favorite towns, you know, Denver, Colorado. I love Colorado. He specializes in the treatment of anxiety disorders, OCD, and PTSD. He recently, which is how we found him authored a workbook for overcoming social anxiety and building confidence. Welcome, doctor. How are you?
1: Thank you. I'm doing well. Happy to be here.
2: So I have a question for you. How should I refer to you, Dr. Shanley, David, Doc? What do you like?
1: Uh, You call me David. That's what most of my clients
2: call me. All right, cool. All right. Well, before we jump into it, because when I put this out to the universe, I got inundated with so many questions for you about how to overcome anxiety and stress. Some people, you know, for their neighbor and others for themselves. But before we even get to this, how did you get into it yourself? Like what fascinated you with this industry?
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely struggled with uh, shyness, social anxiety as a kid a lot. Um, I was able to make some close friends, um, but definitely felt uncomfortable being in the spotlight, public speaking, Uh. talking to girls, um, any kind of high pressure situation, job interviews, class presentations. So uh, anxiety definitely always kind of interested me. So I didn't know if you meant more. With the anxiety in particular or becoming a
2: psychologist? I love the first one because that's really important. I think that people really want to know, have you gone through this yourself? So I like that you answered that first because, you know, now it gives me a whole different understanding. Like, you know, you it's not like something you just learned, but you also went through this and wanted to find ways to overcome it. But now let's go to the second one. Why from there did you want to become a psychologist?
1: Right, uh, yeah, I majored in it uh, in college. I went to UPenn, so spent some time out in Philly. And oh,
2: so you know my area.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Did you like it here?
1: I did. Yeah, it was a great place. Um, I think I'm a little more uh, better fit in Colorado and uh, than the East Coast lifestyle. But it was it was fun. I'm glad I, I got a few yeah. years out there for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But you right away knew you wanted to go and major with that. Like there was no doubt in your mind. Uh,
1: no, actually, I started off in the engineering school. Uh, so pretty opposite yeah. side of the spectrum.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah.
1: More of a math science guy, kind of introverted. I was like, cool, I'll just um, work on these projects. And then uh, I took an intro psych class and I just found it fascinating. And I was like, oh, there's so so many possibilities of things to learn about with the human mind, human behavior. So after majoring in it, then uh, a couple years after college, kind of bounced around some jobs, nothing really stuck. So I'm like, oh, it looks like you got to go to grad school to actually really make a, a profession of this. I had uh, I had worked at a group home with teenage mothers in L.A. for cool. a year after grad school or after uh, undergrad. And um And I talked to some of the therapists and psychologists there. I was like, oh, they seem to have a cool job. Like they get to really meet with people weekly, really get into it more in depth and and make some real change. So that's when I decided I wanted to go to grad school and become a psychologist and start doing the same thing.
2: Okay. So, you know, I mean, I do love where I live. But my son, he's he's 15. He's freshman high school. He's like, Mom, I know where you're going to move. You're going to get dad to move out to college. I go there all the time. I have so many friends out there because that I love the outdoors. I mean, we go to Breckenridge area. I have friends in Denver and Boulder, Mm -hmm. but I'm big into hiking and mountain biking. So why would I want to be here? I don't know if you do any of that, but it's. just
0: Yeah, Yeah, no, of
1: course. That's the biggest appeal out here.
2: I mean, my friends who I couldn't get into hiking or mountain biking, David, um, then they moved out a few years ago and they're like, yeah, we do it all the time. They go, it's a lot different. You know, it's not just up and down in 30 seconds. And there's, you know, the scenery is unbelievable. So for me, the biggest thing I do and I'm sure you recommend it a lot. If I come in and they see me even a little stressed, they go, mom, here's your bike. You know, <laughs> like I just go out for a bike ride or a hike with my dog in the hills and it totally relaxes me.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Physical activity, sunlight, meaningful activity, doing something with friends, getting those endorphins going. I mean, just you check off like five boxes just by doing, yeah. getting outside. Now,
2: how did you end up there though? Why? How did your practice end up in Denver?
1: Uh, I so I found the the grad school program that I wanted to go to was in Denver. Uh, okay, applied to that one. I, I kind of always knew I'd grown up in LA, went to college in Philadelphia, came back to LA, I was like, I, I kind of always thought Colorado would probably be pretty cool. Maybe uh, they have yeah. a psychology program out there, so I looked it up and applied to it. Went to grad school, and after yeah, living here maybe six months, I decided like, yeah, I think I am going to stay out here for the long haul.
2: So it got a lot busier out there though, hasn't it in the last 10 years?
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah, so I started my program in 2008. You know, rent was $400 a month and traffic what? was small and yeah, it's pretty nice. I think uh, I think the population out here has probably yeah, doubled since then, especially uh yeah. 2013 to 2016. Really just went through a huge boom out here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because I go there at least once a year and I was like, what the heck happened? But I get it. I'd want to be there too. Mm All right. So can we back up just a little bit? You were talking about when you were in high school and I'm sure middle school and that you were the shy kid. Mm -hmm. How did you deal with it back then? Did you go to any counselors or therapists? I mean, what was your MO for dealing with it?
1: no i pretty much didn't want to talk about it didn't want to think about it didn't want to draw attention to it at all so i just uh i dealt with it like um you know really put myself into my studies and schoolwork uh tried to get involved in some things where i felt comfortable uh, i had a good good relationship with my sister and parents and some close friends around me so i had people around yeah. like i was doing enough but uh Otherwise, just kind of tried to stuff it and get through yeah. it as best I could and focus on things that I did like, like playing video games, playing sports, yeah, doing my homework, that kind of thing.
2: Was your sister outgoing?
1: She was, yeah. So that was always kind of in my face. Yeah, she was very outgoing, very social, had a good, like big mixed social group. She was involved in a lot of activities at school, like kind of more public, uh, School officer kind of things where yeah yes, more
2: the opposite, but that could be good at times, right? Could did she get you into things that you normally wouldn't get into?
1: Uh, maybe a little bit. I ended up in uh yeah the music programs and the uh, school choirs and stuff, and I had thought about kind of dropping out and bailing on that, but she was like, no, you should stick with it. It's really fun, and yeah. so uh yeah, w- it was good to uh to continue with that sophomore, <laughs> senior, senior year of high school.
2: Yeah. Well, you, if you don't mind me asking, well, how old are you? What's so I want to figure out what age you were in high school.
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah. I'm 35 now. Okay. So I graduated in 2001.
2: Okay. All right. That gives me respect. Because right now, I mean, I don't know about all areas, but where I live in the suburbs of Philadelphia, a lot of kids are not ashamed to say that they see a counselor, which I think is awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And my son, yeah, this is so funny because it's, it's just like too parallel. My son, I'm very outgoing, you know what I mean? And I'm very gregarious. And my husband is too, but my son is very much how you described, but he started seeing a counselor, I guess after a seventh grade year. And he always says to me, mom, I think everybody should see a counselor. We could all benefit. And I said, well, Cole, you're very evolved for most kids, you know, you know, he goes, yeah, we all could, you know, benefit from talking to someone, which, It's really been really helpful. But my big thing that I want to know is do you have to be in Denver to see you or do you do anything through Skype?
1: Uh, I do, but I'm only licensed to practice in the state of Colorado. So you don't have to be in Denver, but you do have to be within the state of Colorado because that's the only state I'm licensed to practice in.
2: Oh, I forgot of that little bugger. Yeah. I went on your website. You have to go on his website. It's amazing. He, even just going on there, you give people so much information to already feel like there's success around the corner.
1: Yeah, that's the hope. Uh, you know, first step, if they're even willing to reach out, start thinking about counseling. A lot of times it takes people weeks or months or even years before they want to yeah. get So try to offer them some hope, some helpful tips um, to help them along the way at the beginning of that journey.
2: So now your patient load is it even with the age group or do you highlight a certain group?
1: Uh I work primarily with uh adults and more younger adults tend to find me I think than older adults. A lot of time older adults are going through issues that older adults are going to understand better so they see me young picture young guy they're like ah we'll go with somebody who's older or more experienced. Yeah
2: yeah I get that
1: but i get a lot of people 20s and 30s who are like oh, i don't know what i want to do with my life or i have anxiety around friends relationships yeah. anxiety in yeah. life
2: is it male and female
1: male and female yeah pretty good pretty good balance of both
2: all right so i see here that i was going through your different topics and i was on your website mm-hmm. and You have, and I know you probably explained this a lot, but I do think it's worth going into the difference between someone who just says, oh, he's just really shy and someone that has social anxiety.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it is kind of a spectrum. Uh, You know, we could say from somebody who's really outgoing to somebody who's like kind of outgoing to shy. And then if you go even further along that spectrum, then you'd get more to, on social anxiety. I think we kind of make the distinction around how how much functional impairment there is in your life. Uh, So somebody who's shy, maybe just doesn't like big group outings. They don't like speaking up uh, in class or they're not really going to love a networking event or necessarily start conversations or give Mm -hmm. a lot of long answers, maybe if they're in at some kind of social group or dinner or something like that. Uh, but someone with social anxiety is having more physical symptoms of anxiety across many more situations, uh, more of the kind of classic panic symptoms, often with heart beating uh, fast
2: or Got it.
1: missing their chest or sweating. And then they interpret these, these symptoms. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't do this. And so it really leads to this avoidant behavior of, like, I can't go get that job. I can't do this job interview. I can't go out and try to meet people or get in that relationship. They really start isolating more, uh, really corresponds highly with a lot of feelings of loneliness, low self-confidence, low self-worth, low self-esteem, depression. Um, They
2: just spiral down.
1: Yeah. So really, the more... I'd say the more areas of life that it's impacting, the the more severe the symptoms, that's when it's really more. So yeah.
2: So, what, that's what you're saying. How much it, does it, it, not that it's the same. It's like people with the drinking. It, it doesn't, are you a true alcoholic or are you drinking too much? Does it affect your life? Does it not? It seems like the same thing. Yeah. But it's just like, oh, I don't like speaking in large groups or going to parties with a hundred people. Well, it's not that you don't want to overcome that, but that's not the, different than not being able to even look somebody in the eyes and say, hello.
1: Right, exactly.
2: You know what's really weird, and I was telling my nephew this, he's just graduated college and he got this great finance job. And so he's in more of the finance side, but they have the IT guys. Mm-hmm. And he says, he'll go up to him and say, hey, how's it going? What are you doing for lunch? And I told him not to take it personal, and they wouldn't even answer him. They'll, like, look up to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. and Or he'll say, hey, can you put this sticky note? And they just kind of, like, they'll do anything just to walk away from him. And I was telling him, that's not because of him. They don't, you know, they pick that profession probably, you know, because they don't have to interact with people, right? I mean, you don't just look up to the ceiling and not answer someone.
1: Uh, yeah, typically, no. I, uh, I think it sounds like some of those guys, yeah, that he's interacting with probably have some social anxiety, uh, at least some shyness or some difficulty.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, most people don't want to be that way. I mean, unless they really don't like you, which is usually not the case, they're going to make eye contact and answer you. And I said, it's not, I'm pretty sure it's nothing to do with you. It's just, they're more drawn to that profession because they're not having to really talk and interact with people.
1: Right. Yeah, it may be. And uh, yeah, I mean, there certainly are a lot of professions. I think that one stereotypically maybe would draw somebody that... uh,
2: Not that they're all like that, but... You know, if you can't look somebody in the eyes and even just say something to them, which I know I just heard, you know, somebody say, you know, they talk a lot on one-on-one, but if they're in front of people, nothing comes out of their mouth. So you would consider that more of a severe social anxiety.
0: Yeah,
1: certainly. Yeah. If you're avoiding eye contact and avoiding that kind of interaction at all, then yeah, that would be more severe social anxiety. Certainly.
2: So- I would really like to stay with the topic of social anxiety and stress, because lately, I mean, I know you said you get young adults, but I'm not a therapist at all, but I wrote a book called train your head by will follow. And I teach mindfulness and meditation, David. So I've been going on a book tour with that Mm -hmm. and young people, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you're going to get the baby boomers or who you are, but I'm getting flocked with kids that are in eighth grade through college and most of them, I, I'm just overwhelmed with how many kids say they're stressed out and feeling anxiety. And I don't know if it's just changed because of social media recently, or I'm just being ma- more aware of it because my kids in high school, but it does seem to be heightened. I don't know what your feeling is on that.
1: Uh, like, is it heightened across the board? You mean among teenagers or the
2: yeah. you know,
0: yeah.
1: media? and Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't work, I don't work with enough teenagers or I haven't studied the stats exactly to know. Uh, some of it's going to be a reporting thing. I think like you said, you know, your son's very open about like, yeah, everybody should see a therapist. I need a therapist. So there might be, there's more people probably seeking treatment now than there were 20 years ago. That doesn't necessarily imply that there weren't
2: people. Good point. Right. They're more honest about it.
1: They're more honest about it. There's more, uh, high profile, things happening in the media where we're like, we need to make sure kids are doing okay and like address these issues sooner rather than later. Uh, so, I, so some of that, when I think it's great that all this is helping reduce some stigma around mental health in general, so people will seek treatment and we'll put yeah. more of, uh, yeah. more on this effort and emphasis on this as a society. Uh, Certainly, though. Yeah, I, I think it would be tough as a teenager, though, growing up right now. Um, I think with the social media impact, it's like you, you jump on your phone and it looks like everyone else is having the time of their lives and you're just getting bombarded with this message or yeah. seven like that. And you're already so uh, it's developmentally appropriate to be so consumed about, you know, what does everyone else think? How do I compare? How do I match up? How do I fit in with everybody else? And now this is just being like, thrown in your face constantly and potentially receiving a lot of messages of like, oh, I, I don't measure up. I'm not doing enough. I'm not cool enough. I don't have enough fun pictures or people don't like this. Or, you know. Well,
2: do you see that with your twenty you said you deal with twenty and thirty year olds? Do they feel the effects of this too?
1: I th- yeah. I think they do. Uh to yeah, certainly some of the college kids that I'm working with. Uh get a lot I think a lot of the people, yeah, in their twenties who I'm working with are just like um, I'm addicted to my phone. Uh, you know, I'm just always on there, and so it's just not—it's uh, it, not necessarily promoting healthy social behavior. Um, yeah, not, people aren't just naturally maybe getting the experience of oh, I'm in a waiting room or I'm at a subway stop, and so I'm gonna say hi to somebody or even make eye contact or just notice my surroundings. It's like we're all buried in these smartphones.
2: You know what? That's a good point because even. People that I know that aren't shy, you're right. I was just thinking about that, and they're in their 20s and 30s. They will be anywhere, and they can't look up at you, and they have to have that phone mm-hmm. on them. And if, if let's say you're you're in a subway and there is no internet connection, they're watching something else that doesn't need it or playing a game that doesn't need it to avoid conversation. I talk, but you're right; it's a habit. That's how they grew up. Right. You know, they didn't have to work on it. So let's get me to my number one question that I was supposed to ask you, David. Okay. What do you do? How do this, and these are from people that are in their 40s. The one guy said, how do I stop myself from comparing who's doing what, even in business, His question is, because no matter what, I have to be on my phone and my computer for business. And I know maybe people are only, you know, showing the best side of them, but I don't know how not to compare myself. Like, what can I do?
1: Right. No, and that's a great question. So, yeah, if we go back, uh, evolutionarily is actually adaptive, right, to compare ourselves to others, make sure like, all right, I'm doing what it takes to be part of the tribe and I'm going to get to keep living. I'm not going to get kicked out on my own. Um, so there's no, and the point of that is that there's no turning off this process entirely. It's learning how to work with it. That okay, I don't. I'm not going to turn off every negative thought in my mind. Uh, I'm not going to be able to convince myself that every negative thought or comparison thought to somebody else is not true. So instead, we want to take a look at that whole process of well, why am I buying into these thoughts so much? Why am I putting so much emphasis on them? So much importance on them? So yeah,
2: and, I like that. I like that. So, you're sure I can't get rid of all the negative thoughts in my head?
1: Cannot get rid of all the negative thoughts in your head. They've been trying it for <laughs> I'm decades. Degrees, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so I really ascribe to the philosophy of uh, of let's let's notice the thoughts, let's see them for what they are, and that we don't have to change them entirely, but that we don't also have to have them control our behavior. So behavior is really where we have the chance to intervene and do something different in our lives. So the guy's like, Well, what do I do about it? You you say, Okay, well, it looks like, you know, three of these people were more successful than me. Okay, great. Well, what am I gonna do to be more successful myself? Or is there something I can learn from them? Or is there somebody to go out there and go interact with anyways? Okay. Uh, I mean, if it's more of a business thing, then I think that that lends to like, all right, you need to do something to make yourself more uh, confident, competent, build up your skill set in something that is more specifically goal driven for a a business or job that you're trying to do well. If it's purely more of a social anxiety realm, like, want to be more social, but um, I think I'm a loser. Everybody, nobody likes talking to me or whatever it is. Those thoughts are really hard to deal with and hard to combat. But with this, the the whole idea is like, all right, this feels scary. This feels terrible. My mind's telling me I can't do this. And yet, here I go. I'm going to say hi to this person in the grocery store checkout line or on the subway. I'm going to make eye contact with 20 people per day. I'm going to say hi to people in the office every day. Uh, And just over time, it will get easier and easier. And like you have to essentially train your mind through your action, through your behavior that, oh, I said hi to this person. And they didn't all look away or they didn't laugh (laughs) at me. They didn't think.
2: Yeah, they did acknowledge me.
1: They did acknowledge me. It looks like I do have some value, some worth. And I can do this. But if you try to just get rid of the thoughts first without the action, Your mind is too strong. It's too good at finding problems and looking for negativity and threats
0: and Ah, focusing on that.
2: I love the way you said that. So that let's just get into the next question that somebody asked me. So we, I know you're a behavior psychologist, right? Yes. So what's the difference between that and a positive psychologist?
0: I, I don't want to
1: misspeak for what, a positive psychologist is, but I think in general, the, the idea is that like, yeah, if you really focus more on the positives in your life and a positive way of thinking, uh, telling yourself positive affirmations that you're going to, you can kind of wire your brain to focus more positive on more of the positives essentially in your life yeah. that either already exist or that may be hidden a little bit. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And the, the field or the theory I'm coming from is more about don't, don't focus so much on whether any of your thoughts are positive or negative and, and see them all for what they are. That a thought is a thought. It, it can't hurt you. It doesn't have to control your life. It doesn't have to control your behavior. Uh, so get out there and do the things in your life that are going to be meaningful, enjoyable, give you some fulfillment. And that in turn will Will give you that more positive feel. I
2: love You know what's really funny? I am around a lot of therapists and psychologists and the University of Pennsylvania, I've done a lot of work with the positive psychology department because they're right up the road and Dr. Yeah. Seligman and all that. Right. And there is a shift, but I, I something was always missing for me. Like I'm all about you know, highlighting the positive. I'm all about positive affirmations, but I also I don't Like, I hate when people say that's good or bad. I'm like, does it make it negative or positive? Does it serve you well? Does that thought serve you well? And I don't know as much about your field, but when I was reading through it, I'm like, this makes a lot more sense to me. You know what I mean? Because, you you know, it's like the fact that you said, okay, here's this thought. Well, it's just not going to go away. But the more you take action, you go, okay, well, I did not burn up from talking to 20 people. It'll get easier and easier. It makes so much sense to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just in line with the way you said it, right? We look at our thoughts, not as, well, is this absolutely true or not true about me, but more like, is it helpful? Is this thought that's going through mine mind, helping me get towards my goals, helping me live a more fulfilling life, helping me get the relationships I want? If yes, then okay, I'm going to pay attention to it and use it. If that thought's just, Not if it's not helpful. If it's telling me, ah, you're a loser. You can't do anything. You're it's you're going to fail. Yeah, that's when we kind of like try to use a a mindfulness strategy or something to to notice that thought, but not buy into it as
2: much. Yeah. Can you? I mean, the buzzword right now has been mindfulness. Can you describe what you refer to when you say mindfulness? What's your explanation?
1: Uh, yeah, a couple different aspects. I think at its core, mindfulness is just being present non-judgmentally uh, a present non-judgmental awareness of the moment um, and everything that you're experiencing both right in front of you through all your senses, as well as you can notice the thoughts and feelings and the internal experiences. And I think you know in my practice I'm trying to help people are typically too much caught up in their own minds. So more of the emphasis is on trying to get them out of their heads and a little more uh, interacting and experiencing what's actually out in the world in front of them. Their mind is giving them a a very negative script about what they're experiencing in front of them. So if you can get them to just directly contact that a little bit more, uh, again, non-judgmentally, a little more in the present. Um yeah, one of the one of the guys that I've read, or maybe it was a professor, used to say, like, anxiety is a fish out of water in the present moment. Like it only lives about worrying about something that hasn't happened yet in the future or ruminating on something that didn't go well in the past.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: In any given present moment, is there anything actually to be anxious about or fearful of? And typically not as much. Like yeah, maybe if you were actually standing there in front of a crowd of 5,000 people giving a speech, yeah, there's going to naturally be some fear there.
2: But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, most people. So is that when you said getting people out there, um is that what you call exposure therapy?
1: Uh getting people out there would be the exposure therapy so if they say, oh, "I don't I don't have any friends. I don't I don't want to uh I'm too nervous to go meet some people. we say, okay, yeah. let's find a meetup group. Let's find an exercise class. Let's find an art class or a political group or something to go. Yeah. Literally physically get out there, expose yourself to your fear that I can't do this. I'm going to look like an idiot. Nobody's going to like me. Nobody's yeah. going to talk to me. Uh so the yeah the exposure is getting out into the world, facing the feared situation or the situation that you fear the most, whether I love
0: that a I random love that.
1: social situation or it's I'm fearing talking to my boss or being more assertive with somebody, or you know talking to this coworker or romantic partner or whatever it is. Yeah, it can take all
2: forms. Which gets me to my third question: How do you, I guess because you're not. I know the answer to this because they should probably be a therapist or counselor, but how do you know how much to push your spouse, your mate or your kid? Like, you know what I mean? Like just push them out of their comfort zone because you want to be supportive, but you don't want to go too far. How do you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I'll give the classic psychologist answer is like, it depends. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, you have to, I would, do it with with some consent, right, with the person that like, yeah. hey, I've noticed you're having a hard time here. I want to help support you by encouraging you to get out there and do more than what you feel comfortable with or more than what you think you're capable of. Because I think it's, it's actually going to go yeah. a lot better than you're worried about right now that's probably kind of the language i'd use around you know if i had a kid i don't have kids my own right now so i haven't actually had to put this into practice yet
2: or your mate you know what i mean because some people have spouses that are very like this one woman said her husband won't go anywhere you know he's so Mm -hmm. shy like how much do you you know i said well you probably wouldn't start out with a hundred party people but maybe just another couple
1: yeah. perfect exactly you find something that's easier we call it graduated exposure oh See good
2: so that was the right right
1: answer something easy uh get somebody's buy-in you start to build a little bit of confidence that oh okay yeah i was able to go to that movie with that one other couple right yeah. the, the movie there's not much talking there's not a ton of social interaction
0: but yeah. and um so you start i have that. a
2: question and i'm just curious i mean i guess you have to know your own child but I know my son when he was younger especially he would build things up in his head like if he had to try a new jujitsu jitsu class or boxing class or whatever or because you know, it was a new coach or a new place like it's a new environment like once he's there he's great so I wouldn't tell him where we're going because I knew if I told him ahead of time he'd freak out I just put him in the car and then we'd be I goes where are we I'm like we're going in I'll give you two minutes and then it always worked out I don't know if that was tricking him or not because people are like, that's not great. But it, I knew that if I told him ahead of time, he'd build it up. And then once he got there, all the places we went, he was fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Was that bad? <laughs>
1: I, don't I don't think it was bad. I look at what's functional, right? If it got him there and then he, he'd he get there and enjoy himself yep. and have a good time, then I'm, you know, I'm all for it. Uh, again,
2: again, sure, where- it. didn't help the – like I didn't – there wasn't any steps, though, like you were saying, to overcome it because I was tricking him. He was great when he got there, but then he wasn't able to learn any skill of it's OK. I don't know. Maybe I should have. You, know, you know what I'm saying?
1: Maybe a little more of a debrief afterward of like, hey, do you realize like what you did? Like you went to this new class. You thought it was going to be really scary. or Maybe you didn't know it was going to be scary, but you yeah. got there and you got through it. So then then the next time.
2: Oh, I um, got gotcha. you. Yeah.
1: more honest. And yeah. uh, so I, yeah, I mean, generally, I'm in favor of honesty with people. Um, <laughs> yeah, not with, not uh,
2: tricking your kid. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, but maybe you put more of a, a positive reframe on things with kids. Like, hey, I know this is going to be uh, scary, but it's also going to be exciting. That you know, maybe you get to learn this new thing, or you're going to meet your new best friend there. Um, that, I love
2: that. No, no, I love that. All right, so.
1: And then give them tons of rewards when they follow through on doing something scary. Like, definitely the positive reinforcement when somebody, when a kid or a spouse or somebody pushes themselves out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Look on the praise or like, all right, now we get to go get ice cream or whatever it is they like.
2: Oh, I did that right. I did the ice cream part right. So that's good. (laughs) So, let me ask you this. So, your clients, obviously, they want to be there because they're sitting there in your office. But, yeah what if they don't want to take your advice and, and do like, do, are you patient with them? Like they're not ready, you know, to go, you know, out there and do the things you ask And Like, how long do you wait?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh or does good, it always but,
2: work when they listen to you?
1: Right. Um, I think the, the more experience I, I gain every year as a therapist, the more confident I become and the more uh, assertive and demanding I'm, coming with some of my clients that like, Hey, like we talked about this. Are you doing what I said to do? If not, you're not getting better. Okay. Like, so when I'll either just start repeating myself, uh, I'd say in then in rare cases, maybe I say like, all right, well, how about you take a few weeks then or a month and go practice some of this stuff and then call me and schedule uh-huh. an appointment because if we're just coming in here and working on talking, having the same conversation week in, week out, I'm becoming uh, part of the problem. I'm just becoming another way that they're avoiding their problem because they're like, well, at least I'm going to therapy. Like I'm doing something.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right.
1: Yeah. So, but you got to find a balance. Everybody's different. If somebody's not following through with things, it's then it's really my job to figure out, okay, what's getting in the way of it? Is it too scary? Did I not find good enough? small steps, gradual steps to work to help them work themselves up? Uh, Is there something else going on more of like a severe depression or something? And maybe they would benefit from some kind of medication or more intensive therapy option? Oh, okay. Uh, Is there some kind of other like real threat or danger happening that I haven't assessed for that I didn't realize is impacting this? So yeah, I mean, definitely want to stop and think through some of these other options. Want to talk it through with the person and really get it all out there so that we get back on the same page of a, of a treatment plan. Like, yes, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is why this is how it's going to be helpful to you. Yeah. You know, are there any obstacles to this? Or can you follow through with it this week?
2: Now, if someone has anxiety, is it something that you always have, but learn to deal with?
1: Uh. Yeah, so it's it's weird, oh, right? So we really like to uh, conceptualize like anxiety's not it's not a tumor that we're going in there and cutting out, and it's like all right, it's gone. <laughs> okay. um, so it's it's both it's something that they may struggle with throughout the rest of their life, but it's also something you know they may not if they really practice these things and okay. um and if you like if you. If you did a hundred percent of like exposures to everything that ever made you anxious, yeah, at some point, like unless it was a new situation that you hadn't thought of, yeah, you really couldn't feel any anxiety. So, somebody with social anxiety, if they really push themselves in every single social situation that made them uncomfortable, yeah. and gave themselves enough opportunity and practice, they could they could ultimately get down to feeling almost no anxiety.
2: I got it. Uh, it's
1: not terribly realistic. Like for the yeah. average person who comes into my office, yeah. they will probably feel some level of discomfort for a long time. But the goal is that it's much less discomfort than they were feeling when they first walked in and that it's not limiting their life
0: anymore. Yeah.
2: So I heard somebody say um, there was a young man, he started a new job in New York city and he was telling me that he never felt anxious or stressed out and then all of a sudden he was having panic attacks and he's like how is this possible like is it possible to go through life and not really feel anxious and then something trigger it or is something deeper going on what are your thoughts
1: uh yeah good question i mean i'd say from my own experience uh, i've seen it both ways like in my practice where people say They'll walk in there like, yeah, I never felt any anxiety in the past. Now all of a sudden I'm having these panic attacks. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to figure out sometimes. Yeah. If there's no, there's no immediate uh, triggering event. I think typically if you can, if, Usually there's something there, though, that you can help somebody identify some kind of stressor in their life, in an area of their life that matters to them. There's there's some kind of change or something they're thinking about. Um, sometimes it, it, it could be a product of getting older or getting to like a next phase of life of like, oh, I guess like the fun, like mess around part of my life's over. Like now uh, it like hits. Up. Yeah. Oh, I got to have to figure out what I'm doing. Or like, why don't I have a family yet? Or why don't I have a, own a house yet? Or I don't, I'm not happy in this career anymore. Um, so sometimes it, it could be like a bigger, maybe life existential question that may have been simmering below the surface. And then just kind of pops up as more uh, significant kind of panic anxiety. But with social anxiety, I don't see that a whole lot. Almost everybody with social anxiety reports that, like, yeah, I've felt this way my whole life. Okay, I was a guy kid. I yeah, it's not like oh, I was this great. Everything was going perfect <laughs>
0: yeah. in middle
1: school, high school, and then one day I just woke up and I can't talk to people anymore.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. pretty rare.
2: No, and I like I like that you you differentiate that because that's true. You're right. I can see anxiety being different than social anxiety. Yeah. All right. You're right because you I, the kids I was dealing with at college they were like oh my god I'm graduating now what am I going to do with your life so it, that's why they're having panic attacks where they wouldn't have had those before that yeah
0: was,
1: yeah and some people might respond to that panic attack and be like oh I don't want to be around anybody if I'm going to have this panic attack I don't want anybody to see that I feel this way yeah so then they start isolating and withdrawing. And now they do have some social anxiety because it's like they get out of practice Ah. people and interacting with people. And they start worrying that, Oh, everybody's going to think I'm weird or I'm having this panic attack. And so that could kind of morph into some social anxiety.
2: Yeah, I get it. All right. Well, listen, there's like so much I could keep talking to you about, but I also want to just touch on the other areas that you work with. So you also work with, um, OCD and PTSD survivors. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that is correct.
2: Let's just talk about OCD. It, okay. like, just because I know we're, we're running out of time, but I just want to touch on it a little bit. Can yeah. you just describe for everyone what that is?
1: Yeah. So it's somebody who's experiencing some kind of, a, the O is an obsessive thought typically that uh or an obsession that increases their anxiety when they have it so the classic example is a, a fear of germs they look at a doorknob or a bathroom or something and they're like that thing is covered in germs those germs are going to kill me i'm going to die i'm going to get sick whatever those are all the o's so then the the C that is the compulsive behavior that they do to try to reduce their anxiety. So, okay, I'm going to avoid that doorknob. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to use uh, sanitary wipes over everything. And so it temporarily relieves their anxiety in the moment. Yeah. Because, okay, well, now I'm safe because I just, you know, washed or cleaned myself or avoided those germs.
0: Yeah. So
1: it's, very re- it's a reinforcing Behavior because it made them feel better in the moment. So in the but in the long term, it's also reinforcing the original thought Ah. that those terms were really going to get me. I'm only safe because I engaged in this compulsive ritual behavior. Uh, So the 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 key then is like you try to disrupt that cycle. You expose them to the fear without having them. Do the the compulsive safety or reassurance seeking or checking or avoidance behavior. And then they get new learning can take place that says, oh, you know, I touched the doorknob, I faced the germs, and I'm still alive. I'm not sick. Everything's fine. I guess I can go on with my life.
2: You know, I have a few friends that have this and they were just saying, I don't, they were like telling me, which, you know, I don't, they're my friends, so I don't want to get involved, but I know I better have the wipes and all that stuff at my house when they come. And they're just saying, they they were telling me there was no cure. And I'm like, oh, I'm not saying there was a cure, but there's got to be something that works. So you're saying you have seen success with this.
1: Oh, very much so. Yeah. The idea that there's no cure is not true at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, we I, just I, have, I have
2: to live with this. I'm like, I don't think so. I mean... If you want no, to you can make
1: significant, significant progress with people, I've seen some of the most severe cases and then to more mild ones and yeah, everybody can make progress with this. It's, it's a terrifying, not terrifying, well, terrifying for some and very difficult yeah. and uncomfortable process of therapy because we're asking them to face the thing that they fear the most. Yeah. Um, so, it, uh, of course, it, that is. It, if you're doing the therapy correctly, it will elicit anxiety in them. But that's only in the short term. And in the long term, they get their life back and they will have much less
0: anxiety.
2: Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you said that. All right. So you also deal with PTSD survivors?
0: Yes. Uh, and
2: yeah. the treatment, so, is that a lot different?
1: Uh, the treatment of that one is, uh, you know, the one that the treatment that I use is consistent with this exposure. It's called exposure with response prevention. So except the, the thing that they fear, they don't fear a germ or something out in the world. They're fearing uh, a memory typically. And so you're helping somebody confront and face that feared memory and all of the thoughts and feelings and sensations that come with that when they start talking about that or thinking about that memory so you're literally having people write out the memory talk it through in uh in session bring in other mementos or cues or reminders of it uh because the you know the 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 traumatic memory is it's got kind of like links or, uh, you know, ties to all different parts of the brain. So it's it's often being triggered or activated like accidentally just throughout their daily life. So you're trying to figure out, okay, and, and because that's so uncomfortable and unpleasant or, you know, causing panic attacks or something like that for them often, they, they then are narrowing their life. They're restricting it. They're trying to avoid all these things bumping into these cues that are going to make them think of this horrible memory or they're trying and, or they're trying to avoid persons, places, things that, uh, that they think are now dangerous where something bad could happen again.
2: Gotcha. So
1: you're helping them exposed to the things out in the real world that we mutually agree are actually safe or relatively safe. Okay.
0: okay. Um,
1: and then you're also helping them expose to the actual memory so that over time, they, it's like watching a scary movie. The first time you watch it, it's scary, it's terrifying, jumping at every scene. But if you watch the same movie a hundred times, you're not going to like it. You're not going to be like, oh, great, that person gets murdered here. But you're, you're not going to have the same physical. Oh,
2: that's such a great analogy. You're right. That's true. Because I hate scary movies. But if I've seen it before... Yeah doesn't freak me out as much because I know it's coming.
1: Exactly. So you're helping the person just kind of rewatch the scary movie over and over and over and over again until it becomes less scary. Got it. And uh, there's also some more complexities to that about yeah, yeah. the meaning they've made of that and how it's impacted their sense of self and their sense of the world and relationships. And so you got to do a lot of work talking through those things as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, David, I really appreciate you sharing this with us because I think that it's a topic that everyone with themselves or someone they know can relate to. And I know you're only in Colorado, but anybody there can come see you. I wish you could do stuff online more, but there's other therapists that are great in their area. But before we go, tell me about your book, because didn't you just write a book?
1: I did, yes. Yeah, Social Anxiety Workbook for Work, Public, and Social Life. Uh, It's available now. So yeah, the book is structured with an introduction that really goes through a lot of the same topics that we just uh, talked about, kind of what anxiety is all about, what's reinforcing it, and this exposure and acceptance model. Uh, And then it goes into a few different chapters about um, each of these different Life arenas and more specific strategies and exercises that you can practice uh, some assessments for, okay, well, how am I doing? Like, maybe I'm doing okay in work, but I don't do well with friends. So, okay, like, I'm going to focus on the friends chapter. Uh, I encourage people, and I say this in the introduction, to read through the whole thing because the the exercises you do in one section are going to be beneficial to all realms of your life. Okay. They're all they're all part of the same theme of approaching difficult situations, learning to uh, manage uncomfortable thoughts and feelings differently, and work with them differently in your own mind. Uh, emphasizing mindfulness, being more present, more non judgmental, and facing these difficult situations and doing that
0: exposure.
2: Well, at least we can, you know, have your philosophy in a book. So that makes me feel better. I love that.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: All right. So before we go though, is there anything else that you wanted to get in that we didn't cover? And I also want to tell people, how can they reach you? What's the best way to reach you?
1: Certainly. Uh, No, I think, I think we did great here covering really all the, uh, all the, the major points here. So I don't have no other questions or nothing else to add off the top of my head. Uh, yeah. If they, if they want to get in contact with me, they can definitely jump on my website, uh, drdavidshanley.com. So that's D R D A V I D S H A N L E Y.com. Uh, on there is links to a phone number, email, uh, definitely can contact me. I've, I've actually, uh, you know, I often do phone consultations with somebody, uh, who's just wanting to get more information. It's not oh, always like, oh, I can only, I'm only going to call this person if uh, if they, they, somebody doesn't have to be thinking they can only reach out to me if they're ready to schedule an appointment.
2: Oh, I like that. That's they, really nice. But,
1: uh, yeah. Happy to uh, talk through the process with people or, you know, give a few tips or information be helpful. However I can.
2: All right. Cool. Well, thank you. I, I love this. It opened my eyes to make me think about things in such a different way. So I am so appreciative and I appreciate, I know I had to change your schedule, but I'm so glad we got it in. It's been wonderful.
1: I really appreciate you having me on here. It's been great.
2: Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. All right, people for let's keep it real. I'm Sandy Joy Weston. Until next time, I'm sending you lots and lots of joy. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show.
0: And remember, keep spreading the positive.